turn with me again this morning to the book of Acts. Read the end, end of chapter 2 this morning, beginning with uh, verse 42. Hear God's holy and fallible word, Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 42, where it says of the church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord is adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I'll end our reading there this morning. This portrait of... Uh, the early church here, this, this uh, beginning church, and their activity uh, begins in verse 42 with they were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoted. Uh, the word devoted or devout in English comes from the Latin word devotus, which means faithful or uh, zealously attached to something or to, to give yourself fully to something. Uh, earlier this year, I was watching an interview of a, a famous conservative TV anchor. In the interview, she said, I'm a Christian, but I'm not devout. And maybe you've heard people say something like that. Uh, it, it's actually it's been surveyed for years. Um, uh, survey research tells us that uh, in, in the United States, uh, among Protestants, 56%, only 56%, say that they are devout or devoted. Uh, among, among Roman Catholics, it's much lower, 35% say that they are devout. And, and I thought we might consider what, what could it mean to be a follower of Christ but not be devout, not be devoted. Uh, if you're devoted to your job, you're deeply committed to it, right? You give your time, your talents, you give it serious thought, you give it great effort. If you're a devoted parent, you love your kids deeply and and you carefully care for them and carefully protect them and give them your life and energy and resources and so on. Well, again, over half of Americans who identify as Christians say consistently they are not devout, they are not devoted. Uh, how, how, did, how did Jesus describe his followers? How did Jesus describe discipleship? Well, you remember when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you decide what that means. Right? You can be serious or you can be totally casual about it. Right? You can throw my name around occasionally, throw up a prayer when you get in trouble. You decide. You can give some time and thought to being a Christian or you can be laid back and occasional about it. You, you don't need to be all devoted. Of course, Jesus didn't say anything like that. Here's what Jesus said in the Gospels. He said, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, a cross is, the cross is a sign of, of death, of dying. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus' point is 
Either you're devoted to God or you're devoted to something else. There's not really anything in between. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, in a relative sense, relative to our love and devotion to him, he said, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He said, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, Jesus uh, forbids the use of his name, the use of the name Christian, uh, if, if you don't die to self daily, if you don't love him above all relationships, he says, if you're not devoted to the Lord. What would, he, what would we say of a guy who says, uh, I, I'm a dad, uh, but I'm not devout. I'm not devoted to my kids. Well, we'd say, you're not really a father, you're a, you're a deadbeat. That's, what we, that's the term we have. Right? When someone says, I'm a Christian, but I'm not devout, or there's other ways this is stated in Pew Research and other things, I, uh, it's not very important to me, or I'm not committed, um, uh, various ways, but... Uh, it's essentially saying, I, I use the name of Christ, but he's not really important to me. Right? Not really worth much of my time, not very meaningful in my life. I don't really love him. The, the God of the universe who created me and became nothing, became sin in place of his people to redeem them and adopt, adopt them. Yeah, I, I use his name, but I'm not really devoted. Uh, Christians, to be a follower of Christ is to give yourself to him is to be devoted, to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, as Jesus summarized, and as he has given himself to you, and devoted himself to you by his grace. And that's what we see here in the early church, uh, these people devoted to their Lord, and so devoted in the ways that Luke describes here. Uh, so what does is, what is the devotion of the church look like? What are they doing? What is the early church doing? And we'll look at four things this morning. Uh, all of these, uh, we've asked this question various times throughout our study already in Acts. Uh, all of these are, are normative for the church. Th these are things that should be reflected in the church today still. They're things that are repeated throughout the New Testament, uh, throughout church history and in the life of the church. So first, uh, we see a community that is learning. A community that's learning. Verse 42. Again, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. What, what does that mean? What are the apostles' teaching and why? Well, when Jesus left them with the, the Great Commission, uh, there really are two commands in the Great Commission. Uh, as they go, they're to go, and maybe the first one is, is better known, baptizing, right, in the name of God. But the other one is and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And this is what the, the apostles were, were doing, what the church was devoted to. The teaching of the apostles, which was the teaching of Jesus. They were presenting Jesus. Surely that, that, that means a lot. That includes the death and resurrection and, and the, the meaning and promise of that in the gospel. Uh, they, they surely related Jesus' uh, parables, uh, his sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, told about his miracles and the significance of those. It would have included teaching on all the topics that Jesus taught on, on marriage and end times and sin and loving others and persecution and government and money and prayer and false teaching and hell and the comfort of God's care and the kingdom of heaven. And we could go on and on. 
The church and the apostles seem to be clear that part of devotion to Jesus is devotion to his word, to his teaching, to to learning from him as, as truth and wisdom incarnate. Kent Hughes has this comment uh, on this passage, where the, or in this verse, where the Spirit reigns, a love for God's Word reigns. Uh, Peter, later in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, would say, uh, would encourage the churches to long for the pure spiritual milk, which is a, a term he uses for the Word, the Word of God. Long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And that's the need of every sinner saved by grace. Uh, that's the need of the church. Right? We, we, have this, we have a lifetime of growing up into what it means to be saved. Growing up into what it means to follow Christ. To belong to him. And there are so many areas of life and worldview where we, we need that. We need that instruction. We need God's word, his law, his wisdom um, to redeem all of life for Christ. It's why the church needs to be devoted uh, to faithful, deep teaching and study. It's why we need the teaching of Christ in his word. We need it, again, not just to, to know the, the gospel, the simple gospel. We need it to know how to be parents, to know what children are. And, and we need it for toddlers or for navigating what education is or what that should look like for our kids or how to guard them against dangers and shape their hearts. We, we need the teaching of Christ for the workplace, Perhaps how to honor Christ uh, with, with unbelieving uh, co-workers or bosses or clients. Or how, how to understand my work as a vocation from God in every particular. Uh, we need the, the wisdom of Christ in our own struggle with sin. We need it in our marriage. What is love? How do I, how do I live that out towards my spouse? We need it in navigating entertainment or finances or use of time or leisure. Uh, we need the wisdom of the word of Christ for a, a philosophy of, of government or citizenship or voting. We need it to apply the, the peace and hope of the gospel to, to difficult and, and disappointing lives at times. We need it, above all, to know God himself. And, and God's word, of course, doesn't, direct, doesn't address every particular application in all of those areas I've mentioned. But it gives principles and wisdom essential to navigating all of life, to living all of life to the glory of God. Uh, and as God uh, designed us in our work, our worship, our relationships. Psalm 119 expresses what the attitude of the church ought to be towards the word of God. Uh, verses 14 to 16, for example. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Is that, is that your approach to God's word? When you open your Bible at home, when you, when you gather for Bible study, or when we hear God's word preached, we're, we're opening a treasure. Uh, secondly, I'm going to go slightly out of order here. Uh, we see an example of a community that is devoted to communing with God. Communing with God. Uh, certainly studying and hearing God's word together is part of uh, the Christian uh, communing with God, hearing him speak to us. Uh, but there are other key means that are mentioned here. Look at verse 42 again. Devoting themselves to, uh, the last two I mentioned are the breaking of bread and prayer. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. Uh, what does that mean? Well, the, the breaking of bread 
uh, is, in the book of Acts, a technical term for the Lord's Supper. Uh, it wasn't just, didn't just mean they were eating meals or eating meals together, uh, but they're sharing the Lord's Supper together. Why, why sh- a couple reasons why we should understand that it has that technical meaning. Just, just here in this, uh, in this context, there are other reasons. But um, here in verse 42, it comes between two really religiously loaded terms, fellowship and prayers. Um, Luke lists it right between those things. He's telling us what the church as followers of Christ were devoted to. How, how are they devoted as followers of Christ? And he's not just throwing in the middle a comment that they were eating bread. Right? It's, they, they, were, they were sharing the Lord's Supper together as, as part of their life together. Uh, also in verse 46, you'll see that uh, Luke mentions they were... Uh, breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together. Uh, those two things are mentioned quite distinctly, uh, and, and other sources consistently show us the early church commonly uh, would share a regular meal, a dinner meal, uh, as it were, together, and then immediately following, observe the Lord's Supper, break bread, as, as they would say it. So um, they're devoting themselves to receiving the Lord's Supper. Uh, what Paul calls a, a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. And what this teaches us about the church, it, it points to the centrality of Christ in their life together. They are continually devoted to receiving the grace of Jesus. The, the atonement of Christ and his giving his life for them was, was constantly before them. In, in, not only in the teaching of the apostles, but in the Lord's Supper. And then they're, they're devoted also to prayer. Uh, I've noted already in our series that um, this is something emphasized in the book of Acts about the early church. Uh, their prayer it comes up a lot. Um, we can compare the life of Christ and the, the priority and dependence on prayer in, in Jesus' life. Um, they're actively submitting themselves to the Lord in prayer. They're, they're continually communing with him in that way, uh, speaking to him, depending on him in prayer. And that ought to act to characterize our life as a church, uh, ought to characterize our prayer. Um, there's one other thing that's mentioned here that marked their, their gathering in, in, this, um, in this theme, verse 47, that, that says they were praising God, uh, praising God. And so we have in this little passage really all the essential elements of worship as, as we continue to practice worship today. Uh, along with the history of the New Testament church, praising God, uh, studying and learning from his word, hearing the gospel, uh, receiving the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Uh, All these means of communing with God, they were devoted to, uh, these things that Christ gave them. Uh, Thirdly then, thirdly we see here a community that's continually devoted, verse 42, to fellowship. The fellowship, and I put... Fellowship in scare quotes there because this may be, uh, considering this word closely, maybe something of a redefining of your understanding of that word fellowship in the Bible as you know it. The, the Greek word behind this you may have heard before is koinonia, uh, the Greek word koinonia. And in English, in our English Bible, it is, it is often translated fellowship, uh, but it's not always um, there, are, there probably are many other times it's used in the New Testament where you wouldn't know that that's, it's that word fellowship, koinonia, because it's translated give or contribute or participate or share, something like that. 
Uh, and I think those words actually better, better summarize the, the meaning of that word in the New Testament. Um, th- there's a sense in which this concept is new for the people of God right here in Acts chapter 2. The word koinonia is not used in the New Testament before Acts chapter 2. It doesn't come up in the Gospels. Uh, and even in the, the Old Testament, the, the Greek translation, the ancient one of the Old Testament, the, the Septuagint, we call it, uh, koinonia is used a few times in the Old Testament, but never once does it really have the context of the body of believers and, and brotherly, brotherly relationship as it does in the New Testament. Every time this word is used in the New Testament, uh, the, the basic meaning is, is sharing, is sharing in some way. Here's a few examples of its use, uh, maybe outside of the references to fellowship that we might be more familiar with like this. So 2 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul speaks of the, the Corinthians' uh, contribution for the poor in Jerusalem, and he uses the word koinonia, fellowship, um, a, a participation, a sharing of the burden, uh, a contribution. Uh, Philippians 3, Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. That word share is simply fellowship, koinonia. Uh, There's a major part of the nuance there is is participating, sharing in the burden of. Uh, And in a very real and concrete way, Paul is not just saying um, he wants to have some intellectual understanding of Christ's sufferings. But he expects and has already shared in, in bearing suffering and, and understood Christ's suffering in that way. And then one other example, John uses this word over and over again uh, in 1 John. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, he says this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And indeed, our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So John speaks of having fellowship, koinonia, with God himself. And then out of that, having fellowship with the church. How does that work? What does he mean there? Well, surely he means that God's... Sharing God's giving of himself sacrificially for our, 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 our forgiveness, our joy, our life. And then reflected in our sacrificially giving ourselves to each other. Um, if one has a need in the church, we bear it. If someone has uh, a sorrow or a joy, we share it together. We, we are sharing, participating in the blessing of a relationship with God himself. And then... That creates fellowship, this this deep participation of of sacrificial sharing that we have together in Christ in the church. Now, I I don't know about you, but that's not the way I have usually fallen into using the word fellowship uh, in the context of the church. But it's the way it's always used in the New Testament. It's the word that's used. Uh, The word fellowship in our English usage has come to mean simply being together. Showing up, right? And maybe having a meal together. And that, that's wonderful. That's, that's certainly an essential prerequisite to having koinonia, right? You can't have koinonia without being together, uh, being together as the body of Christ. And Acts shows uh, a love for that. The church loves to be together. 
They're, they're in this passage here, they're devoted to getting together for these things. Verse 44 describes them as together. They were together. This is how they were. Verse 46 says they had meals with gladness and sincerity. Luke's essentially saying you, you could see that their joy in getting together as the body of Christ. The church loves being together. Uh, but the word koinonia does not mean simply being together. How is it pictured here? The way it's pictured in this passage is consistent with its meaning in the rest of the New Testament. Look at verse 44 and 45 again, uh, where I think it really describes what this looked like. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Uh, verse 44, when it says they had things in common, that's the Greek word koinos. It's the same, it's the same root word. Um, they had them in sharing, in, in giving is how they existed together. Um, the, just another example of that root word, the, the, um, the Greek of the New Testament, the ancient Greek of the New Testament is referred to by scholars as koine Greek. It's like a, a, a technical term, but koine, koinos, koinonia, it means it's the Greek that everyone had in common. It was the shared language of the day, right? Uh, so the church here, their, their koinonia, their fellowship is marked by, by generous giving, by sharing with each other. That's what koinonia was. All needs were met. Generous giving was the norm. Now over in, in, in past, the past century or so, some people have said, well, here's communism, right? Here's, uh, they've identified this as Marxist communism and a uh, maybe a, a justification for it. Uh, it's certainly anachronistic to see Marxist communism here uh, 2,000 years earlier. And that's not really what's described here, is giving up any, all, all sense of ownership uh, within a community. If you read Acts carefully, uh, what's going on among the, the community of the church is, is meeting needs, generously giving and sharing and meeting needs. Um, if you look over at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 34, Luke gives a similar summary again. He says, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So the, the point is they were responding with great generosity to, to needs. Uh, that chapter 4 goes on to tell about Barnabas. Barnabas maybe was fairly well off, and he sold a field he had, and he brought the proceeds to the apostles to, to help people in their need. Um, the idea was people who had houses, people who had fields, and were able, they, they sold things here and there to practice koinonia. And the same thing is said here in verse 45, sharing as people had any needs. So again, it, it doesn't seem to describe people getting rid of, selling absolutely everything, uh, or, or some kind of communist sharing of everything. People still had houses and fields and foods, as verse 46 and the rest of Acts shows. But that's not to diminish what, what biblical koinonia, biblical fellowship, is. It's clearly generously, sacrificially giving, sharing, uh, serving uh, people in the body of Christ. Surely that included the, the needs of the poor and those who are sick, uh, maybe it, it involves contributing to, to Christian slaves to their freedom, or the, the New Testament shows later that that included uh, meeting the needs of the apostles, 
of missionaries, of pastors later, so that they could give themselves to the ministry, especially teaching and preaching. Um, the, the church is, is a community created by the, the King of Kings, who left the glories of heaven, who, be, who became nothing, who became sin, gave his very life for undeserving rebels so they could be his brothers and sisters, they could share in his kingdom, they could be adopted into his father's house forever. And there's, there's no words to overstate the lavish generosity of what Christ has given the church. And so it creates a community that sacrificially gives itself, gives themselves uh, to each other in joy and gratitude for that. And that ought continually to mark the church today. We ought to give generously, sacrificially, out of joy what Christ has done. Uh, Surely that includes, maybe even more in our economy versus the ancient economy, includes giving financially for those in need or for the ministry of the gospel locally, for the ministry of the gospel around the world. Uh, Here in our church, as we collectively give, we share in those ways, plus uh, the, the gospel ministry of, of the Pregnancy Center, for example, or uh, the, the ministry of, of Geneva College, or in training pastors, and the care of elderly, and, and so on. But I want to encourage you as well that, that opportunity for koinonia, for sharing, for giving generously in, in the church, is not just financial. In, in, you know, in some ways, I mean, handing over some liquid assets is kind of the easiest way to do this. Um, important as it is in our, in our economy, but you can generously share life in, in hospitality. That's a way the New Testament emphasizes over and over again. You can share, live out koinonia in, in being a friend in the church, uh, maybe particularly not with those who you have most affinity with and it's easiest with, those who need a friend. You can generously share life and in investing in young people in the church and in, in using your gifts and availability in all kinds of ways. Maybe that's baking, maybe it's carpentry, maybe it's financial counsel, maybe it's babysitting, uh, lots of ways. And there, there are ongoing more, more formal needs for service that we have in a, in a congregation. Uh, in, in living out koinonia in the church, we need teachers for kids, uh, mowing and cleaning, Deacons and elders and greeters and snow shovelers and so on. There, there's lots of ways that we serve each other and facilitate our, our devotion to learning and worshiping and praying and feasting together and make this uh, a welcoming place for, for us, for visitors, for seekers, um, as an outpost of the kingdom of God. So let's continue to do this well in our congregation. Uh, let's be better at our devotion to one another in, in koinonia, in, in honor of Christ. And, and we need that encouragement. There, there are significant trends uh, away from that, that character, that, that kind of fellowship in the modern church. Uh, just, just one somewhat obvious one would be the, the megachurch movement or the sort of big business model of church that is, that is modern. And I don't mean for a second to disparage huge churches across the board or say that can't be done well. There are very large churches that more intentionally uh, try to create small groups where, where koinonia and fellowship can happen. People can know and be known. Uh, but it is very hard in following that model. And, and again, Pew Research, Barna Research, and show on, so on shows certainly trends uh, towards 
much more anonymous attendance uh, in, in church, uh, in the modern church. Um, something you go to to be fed, which is good as far as it goes, but, but then you can disappear the rest of the week. You're not, you don't know or known in the body of Christ. There's no sacrificial sharing of life. Um, it points to the, large, the, the, the tendency towards a large staff that is paid to do all the needed tasks, and so it's, um, it's left to just show up and, and take it in and leave. Another illustration, maybe that difference, I, I went to, when I was a kid, I went to a local Christian school uh, through middle school and high school, started uh, over 50 years ago, in fact, with, with Rich's sister as the first teacher there uh, in Pennsylvania, but... Um, it grew to over 300 students or so when I, when I was there. But it was, it was a community in, in many ways. Costs were kept down by lots of volunteering, by parents, or just lots of participation. And people knew each other. And, and there was a community. And, and by way of contrast to that, uh, we, we had a, it was a Christian school in Florida where Owen was for a couple of years. It was a good school in many ways we're thankful for, but it was significantly larger uh, significantly more expensive, and we, we could only afford it because of Florida's school choice program, but anyways, uh, more staff, lots of fancy staff positions, not so much a community, um, generally um, populated by, by well-off families that would drop their kids off and expect that everything would be done, you pick them up at the end of the day. There wasn't a lot of participation or volunteering or really sharing in the life of a community, of a school. Well, that, that's something like the difference that exists, that can exist in the church, between ideas of the church or, or people's attitudes towards the church. Uh, some folks merely attend or, or view church as, as a resource for them in a more consumerist model, right? And again, research shows there, there's increasingly people relate to church more like you relate to Walmart. All right, it's, it's always there. There's, there's some people running it because that's their job, so it keeps going. And I pop in for what I need when, when I feel the need or when it's convenient uh, to get something out of it. But on the other hand, there are those who are devoted to the church of Jesus Christ as a body. They, they give time and talents and resources to a, to a church family. Right? And there's a, there's a sense of shared ownership. We, we are the church. It's not something there that I go to. Uh, we are the church. Uh, a guy I've gotten to know recently told me the other day he was going to an early morning midweek Bible study, men's Bible study. I said, that's great. And I asked about it and told him about our, our study Saturday mornings. And I asked him which church he goes to. And he told me. And, and he said, I, you know, I, don't, I don't attend church. I don't go to worship. That's not for me, but I get my spiritual food from the men's group in, in the midweek. And you see, that's, that's simply the, this consumerist approach to the church. I pop in for what I need, but there's no koinonia. Right? There's no community. There's no giving and sharing of what we have in Christ. Uh, brothers and sisters, that's, that's really not the biblical model, model of community life, of, of fellowship of koinonia. And it's not what we share here in this congregation largely. I'm, I'm so thankful. I, I say this simply to encourage us, let's continue and increase in being the family of God in koinonia. Uh, Kent Hughes, uh, again, reflecting on the 
the use of the word fellowship common uh, today and, and trends in the church today says this. He says, fellowship cost something in the early church. In contrast to our use of the word today, fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness. It's not punch and cookies. It doesn't take place simply because we are in the church hall. Fellowship, koinonia, comes through giving, and it costs something. Again, that's appropriate in in light of who we are in Christ. And and I want to be clear, uh, I'm not saying that the Christian life, that the life of the church is primarily characterized by doing something, by pitching in. That's, that's not the point. That's not the takeaway. The, the life of the church is rooted first in knowing and receiving what God has lavishly, generously done for you, for us. And the devotion of believers is not first to each other, some ideal of, of activity. It's to the Lord. Our devotion is to the Lord who gave and gives himself to you. But surely in response to that, and that's what we see modeled here in the New Testament, that works itself out in giving ourselves to each other. Devotion to the Lord then includes devotion to the Lord's body, to his family. Before we leave this point, just briefly, it brings me back to the question, why, why is this the first place in the Bible we read about koinonia, about fellowship? Why does this seem sort of new? I've been wrestling with that question this week. Um, Several commentators point that out. I don't really suggest an an answer. Um, Community had always existed. Love and sharing and community had always existed between God's people. But but here's the answer I came up with. why, Why koinonia seems to be new and intensified, in a sense, uh, community and fellowship. Well, under the Old Covenant, believers, they certainly had fellowship with God. They had many rituals that pointed to Christ, that taught them about faith in God and in the coming Messiah. But God's, God's law mandated a lot that created their community. Right? Geographically, they were rooted together, geographically around Jerusalem, particularly in the land of Israel. Uh, the tithe was a mandatory giving to the temple, to the ministry, to the poor. Uh, pro- their, their very property was, was granted by God um, to families. Uh, their, their feasts, their holidays were given by God, commanded by God. Um, they enjoyed benefits of social laws like, like gleaning laws that cared for the poor and made sure that, that people didn't go hungry. And all of those are wonderful benefits and still are important examples to us. Uh, in, in ordering our lives, wonderful benefits they, they experienced uh, in covenant with God. But under the new covenant, after Christ, the, the spiritual gift of the land and the temple and the priesthood, the f- feasts and sacrifices, it all passes away. And the gospel and the church goes out to the whole world. They're no longer those things, geographical and outward so much, that, that were tying them together in community. But now they're united in Christ. Right now the church knows fellowship in Christ, fellowship with the Holy Spirit in a way never understood before, fellowship with the Father. Uh, they now know a God who's poured out his blood for them, who's, who's poured out his spirit on them. They now know a love of God more profoundly than ever in, in the person and the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And, and, and we could go on. Now, now resurrection life is here. All these things that maybe were, were seen in shadows in the old covenant, even resurrection, but now resurrection life is here. We've witnessed it. We serve a risen king and savior, and the, the king of the kingdom is here. He's reigning for us. He's coming again. And I stand to inherit all things with him. And so what is my stuff to me? I think that's part of the, the difference here. This was their new motivation to share the sacrificial love of Christ with each other in Koinonia. And all, all these heightened reasons for joy and a life of generosity in a community of giving and sharing of Koinonia. Well, for the sake of time, I'll be very brief on the final point. We, we see, fourthly, a community uh, witnessing. A community witnessing. The whole picture here in the passage we read is not just the church turned inward, you know, studying together, eating together, praying together, and so on. But there are multiple comments here on their effect on the community around them, on, on unbelievers. So look at verse 43, uh, where it says everyone. The, the Greek there is clear. It's, it's talking about everyone, not just in the church. This is the people out there kept feeling a sense of awe. Um, People were taking notice and were affected by what they saw in the church. Not just the, the miracles that, that that verse mentions, I think, but the incredible love and koinonia and joy of this community. Uh, people were in awe. And we're, we're told more in verse 47 that they were having favor with all the people. Again, the people out there. Um, of course, there's going to be lots of disfavor. Uh, through this story in the book of Acts as well and throughout history. But just as Jesus promised, as Paul promised, live godly lives and God will use that uh, to bring some people to himself. God will, will, some people will see that and be drawn to it. And that, that seems that many were in awe in, in an appreciative way of this remarkable community. The, the love of God was evident in them and through them. The, spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit was evident, and certainly, as Acts goes on to tell us, they were sharing the gospel with these people who were observing. Now, thinking about our congregation, if, if we think it makes any difference to know the love of God in Christ in our lives, to have the fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit, then would we not be something of an extraordinary and peculiar community to see um, in addition to sharing the gospel? As well, The fact that people seem to have been affected positively and God was blessing their witnesses confirmed at the end of verse 47. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. So may God give us in our congregation devotion to him uh, that works out in devotion to these things. To communing with him, to koinonia, to teaching uh, that he would be glorified. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word this week and for uh, this picture of a spirit-filled church that was uh, eagerly uh, living out life in Christ uh, for each other and for the community around them. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that devotion because of your devotion and your grace to us. Uh, we understand that we, we earn nothing with you. Uh, we are not about... Uh, performing, uh, but we are responding in gratitude uh, and in the love that you have taught us. And pray that that would mark us as a congregation uh, increasingly. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.